You like presents? Who doesn't like presents? I did find out after having children the joys and pleasures of giving presents more than receiving presents. There really is a pleasure of giving presents over receiving presents. But I like presents. And I used to be the kind of guy that thought bigger is better. So obviously, if you're looking at all these presents up here, this is the best. And then you got these two. I guess they're the same, but I like this bow better. So this is the best. And the worst present, if you could even call it a present, this Charlie Brown present over here. I also remember when I was a little kid learning about money. And it might have been my grandfather who, who taught me a little bit about money. Bigger's better, right? If you're a kid. So he took out a dime and a nickel. Well, which one do you want? Well, I want the bigger one. He said, this one's worth two of those. No. Then I'll take that one. This morning at Taco Bell, I dropped a dime on the ground. I just left it there. It wasn't worth getting out of my car for. They say a penny earned is a, oh, a penny saved is a penny earned, but it's still a penny, man. <laughs> there, there was a time when a penny was worth something. You're going to find out in a few minutes why I'm talking about presents. Last week, we're in 1 Samuel, and the children of Israel requested a king. God warned them, said it wasn't a wise move, but if they really wanted one, he'd let them have one. That's what they really wanted, but let me tell you, it's not a good idea. We want a king. God said, okay. This is the chapter where they get their king, so we get to read. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a wealthy and influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, a handsome man in the prime of life. Saul was a head taller than anyone else in Israel and more handsome as well. So in the next chapter, he's presented to the people. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? Do you see him? There's no one like him among all the people. Then all the people shouted, Long live the king! Just, just for kicks and grins and tickles, let's go long live the king. But for us, it'll be King Jesus. Now the reason I want to do this is, you read a story about a bunch of people gathering together and shouting something, but it means nothing. But when you're in a stadium and everybody shouts, it's pretty cool. So we'll be thinking about Jesus. How much you like him, that's how much you're going to say it. On the count of three, long live the king. One, two, three. Long live the king! All right! That's what I'm talking about. So they said that for Saul. Saul was qualified for the kingdom of Israel because he met the three most important type criteria for being a king. Number one, he was tall. Number two, he was handsome. And number three, his dad was rich. <laughs> you think it's petty and shallow to want a king because he's tall and looks good? I do. See, man, I'm so glad we've matured beyond that pettiness and shallowness in this 
day and age, now that we're in the 21st century and no longer old, stupid, Neolithic barbarians, we know looks don't mean anything. Let me read to you an article I found. One of the headings on this article, Taller People Receive Higher Pay. <laughs> the Gainesville Sun reported October 7, 2003, on a University of Florida study that showed each additional inch in height yielded an extra $789 in pay a year. So a person who's six feet tall, said the newspaper, will earn about $5,525 more a year than a person who is five foot five. And I know you're saying, all you short people, you're saying, that's not fair. So what? It's a fact. I agree with you. It's not fair. But whining about it ain't going to change it. It's a fact. Guess we haven't changed much after all. Why do you get a better job? Because you're taller. That's just messed up. Sun staff writer Cindy Swerko quoted management professor Timothy Judge as saying, height matters in career success. Judge and co-researcher Daniel Cable, a business professor at the University of North Carolina, speculated. Why? Here's what they speculated. That being tall boosts self-confidence, which can increase workplace success. Tall people also may be more admired and seen as better leaders enabling them to negotiate a, a higher salary. In her 2009 book, The Tall Book, Ms. Cohen points out that height appears to be a determining factor in U.S. presidential elections. 26 out of the last 30 presidential contestants went to the taller candidate. She also writes that tall people are 90% more likely to become CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. 90%. Gordon L. Patzer, Patzer is the author of the 2008 book, Looks, Why They Matter More Than You Ever Imagined. Let me show you that picture. Who do you want to hire? <laughs> so I got a picture up there for those listening in of a well-dressed business office, a couple men and women, and a guy in sweats, sneakers, and a t-shirt his hair not combed, sitting in front of a TV eating cereal. One looks like a schlub. You wouldn't want to give this man any job. You wouldn't want him to be your gardener. These people, you just trust them. Don't they look like they could do any job you ask them to do? Don't they look capable and competent? They do. I'm not saying they should or that's good. I'm just saying it's a fact. These two people come to you for an interview. These people you're going to respect as soon as they walk in. This guy, you're going to offer him food. <laughs> he might be the better man, but you don't know. So Gordon Patzer in his book 2008, Looks Why They Matter More Than You Ever Imagined, is the, he's the director of the, and the founder of the Appearance Phenomenon Institute, and the Globe and Mail quotes him as saying, quote, a person's physical attractiveness has a significant impact on who is hired, who is promoted, and once hired, who gets the higher income. In his book, he also points out that his research shows that personal attractiveness leads to attracting a better spouse and even a better verdict at a criminal trial. 
Wow. Daniel Hammermesh is a professor of economics at the University of Texas. His research shows that above average looking people were found to earn 5% more per hour than average looking people. He says that it's pretty much universal across all occupations. Now, if you're not an excessively charming looking individual, you might be feeling a little bad right now. Don't. The article has advice for you. <laughs> and now I'm scared to death to make eye contact with anybody. <laughs> Here's what the article says. The majority of people are not tall, slim, and good looking. For them, there are strategies available to even out the competition for work and pay. Pat Elke, a Toronto-based image consultant, told the Globe and Mail that good grooming and behavior is essential. Within a tenth of a second of entering a room, he says, people that haven't known you before will form ten opinions about you based on the only criteria available to them, which is your clothes, your outward appearance, and your body language. Smiles are good. Eye contact in this culture is good. A firm handshake, good posture, nice dress. How many of you, when you got up and you, you saw my Facebook thing and you decided, hey, I'm going to dress up to play along with the sermon today, how many of you looked in the mirror and said, man, that looks good? Come on, don't be embarrassed. I did. I look better in a tie than I do in a T-shirt. I'm not saying I look good. I'm just saying I look better in a tie than I do in a T-shirt. I like to spiff you up. makes me feel good. I walk with my head a little higher. Most people do. Don't know why it is. It's just a fact. So when it says in the Bible that they liked Saul because he looked good, you're saying, what a bunch of idiots. They're a bunch of honest idiots. <laughs> we haven't changed one bit. Not one bit. So Saul got the job. He was handsomest, he was tallest, therefore the perfect king. This is all human perspective, mind you. This isn't God's perspective. God has a totally different perspective altogether. And I find it hilarious, I mean hilarious, that the tall King Saul, head taller than anyone else in Israel, and a striking, dashing devil too, <laughs> is going to meet Goliath. What does that do for you now? You don't know who Goliath was? He was over nine feet tall. So Saul, if he was a foot taller or a head taller than everyone in Israel, the average Israelite in those days was estimated to be five foot five. So Saul was big at six foot five. What did he look like up against nine foot five? Nothing. He looked like a toddler. That's what he looked like, literally, up against Goliath. I think that's just hilarious. God says, you want tall? Let me teach you a lesson about tall. Now, it doesn't end there, because everybody ran from Goliath. They were scared to death of him. Obviously, he was the best warrior. Look how big he was. Oh, and he was big. First of all, none of us have ever stood next to anybody that tall. Those tall people don't exist today. There are people who are miss, they have growth problems, and they get really tall, but they can barely walk, and their knees are knocky. No, Goliath was a warrior. He wasn't misshapen. He didn't have a disease. He was huge. The spear that he carried had a 15 to 20-pound head on it. Could you imagine a stick with 15 to 20 pounds on the end of it, and your job is to go like that? <laughs> he, was he was a monster. Well, 
Saul, and I'm getting ahead of the story just to sum all this up for you. We'll talk about it more in the coming weeks. But Saul ended up turning his back on God, so God chose another king. God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And all the boys gathered together, and Samuel saw the tallest and the handsomest. He said, ah, this must be the one God has chosen. And God didn't cho choose him. And he went through all the, all the boys, and he said, are you missing a son? Oh, yeah, we got one more. He's off in the field taking care of the sheep. Go get him. And God chose that one. He didn't look like a king. And here's what God said to the prophet Samuel. Pay no attention to how tall and handsome he is. By the way, this isn't talking about David. This is talking about the guy that he thought God chose. Okay, the tall, handsome one. God told him, pay no attention to how tall and handsome he is. I have rejected him. Because I do not judge as people judge. They look at the outward appearance, but I look at the hearts. So here's the problem with Saul. Here's the problem with us. Here's the problem with humans ever since we've been humans. We value form over faith. We like the outside better than the inside. Which has got the best present? Obviously, you have no idea, because they're only boxes. But obviously, nobody's going to take this amount of time and attention to wrap up a lousy present. And certainly, nobody would put anything of value or worth in a box like this. There's a woman of God who writes books, lectures, speaks paints like an angel with her mouth because that's all she can move on her body. Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic and a mighty warrior of God's. Surely nobody would put anything of value in a box like this. Well, you and I wouldn't. But God's not like you and I. The good present, the big one. Who wants a bag of dirty diapers? <laughs> Why? I told you you didn't know what was going to be in there. chocolate cake, and not just any chocolate cake, but layers upon layers of decadent deliciousness. <laughs> this came from Costco. This cake is evil. <laughs> it lures you in with her beauty, and after one bite, you're done for, and then afterwards, you feel sick. By the way, this cake and her sisters will be available to you after services in the bistro. So hopefully I will see you there. Mwah.
My wife's sitting in the back getting jealous. <laughs> it's not what's on the outside that counts. Wouldn't you agree? It's on the inside that counts. It's the heart that matters. It's not form over faith. It's faith over form. So, later on in the Bible, in the New Testament, God talked about this situation. And here's what the scripture says. The people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So, here's what it says about Saul. He was tall and handsome and the son of a rich guy. Here's what it says about David. A man after God's own heart who will do everything I say. Form. Faith. Outward appearance. Inward beauty. For all we know, David was handsome too. In fact, there's a passage of scripture that indicates that he was. But he definitely wasn't the tall guy, that's for sure. A man after God's own heart. Saul looked good, but he had left a bitter taste in the mouth. He was a bad king. Goliath looked unbeatable. So God took the short David to beat Goliath. It's not the size of the man in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the man. Or the size of the faith of the man in the fight. David. How many of you have ever seen a chihuahua chase a German shepherd? Let me see your hands. Did I, did I make my point or what? You know, a German shepherd could step on a chihuahua. But he sees the attitude of that dog. And it scares him to death. And he runs. David was a great king. He didn't have the looks. He didn't have the family tree. But he had the heart. I told you things are not always as they appear. Got a little something here for you. This is a queen. We'll call her queen, not always as she appears. Go ahead and hit the play button on that. The queen we're looking at is rotating. The picture rotates, she turns over, and now she looks like a grumpy old lady. She doesn't even look like a beautiful queen anymore. Nothing changed. But your perspective, that's all that changed. Isn't that interesting? Ha! Things are not always as they appear. Chapter 8, Israel asked for a king. Chapter 9, they got what they deserved, Saul. Well, Saul starts out good, and he finishes bad. But he starts out good. Chapter 10. So 8, they ask. 9, they get. 10, he gets empowered by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 10, verse 10. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about what that means. He joined in their prophesying. It's a physical word. Maybe there was some sort of ecstatic dancing and singing going on. Maybe they were speaking forth mysteries. I don't know. It just became obvious, and then the scripture says, Saul changed. He joined in the prophets. Something changed in him, not only then, but his heart was changed to be a better king. But I want to focus in on this. The spirit of the God came upon him in power. 
I want to focus in on that sentence. I've come to learn that that sentence, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, is expressed at least four different ways in the Bible. Let me share them with you. First, of course, to have the Spirit of God come upon someone. That's used in the Bible more than once. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is used in the Bible, and it means the same thing. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is used in the Bible, and it means the same thing. And to have God pour out His Spirit on people is used in the Bible, and it means the same thing. Now, you will probably pick up any commentary in any book or talk to any seminary professor, and they will tell me I am horribly wrong. I am naive, and I am ignorant. Bring it on, because I disagree. They're used interchangeably in Scripture. Now, I will grant, and I'll show you this in a moment, that at least one of them can also have another meaning. But these are all used interchangeably. And for my proof, I'm in Acts chapter 1. Listen to what it says. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, and they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Verse 8, and at least one version puts it this way, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. So now we've got two. Baptized, come upon you. Verses 3 through 4, chapter 2. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated, and one rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. We've got baptized, come upon, filled. Now, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on everyone. This was the verse they quoted to show that this was being performed with the other verses. So we've got baptized, come upon, filled, and poured out, all four used in the exact same context in the book of Acts. So when you're reading through the Bible, it says the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit fell upon somebody, poured upon somebody, filled somebody, empowered somebody, baptized somebody, and anything else you can think of. It's all different ways of pretty much saying the same thing. But even though it's saying the same thing, it can mean different things in different contexts. For example, in 1 Samuel... When Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was empowered. In Acts, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were empowered. So the thought is, oh, well, every time you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're empowered. No, not every time. Sometimes people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they're empowered. Sometimes they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not empowered. It says this about John the Baptist, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. John will be great in the Lord's sight. He must not drink any wine or strong drink. From his very birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm sure when he was a mewling infant in his mother's arms, barely able to even move his arms, I know he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't, there's nothing powerful about him to, to, to behold. God was doing something inside of him for sure. So the manifestation of power doesn't necessarily follow with the filling of the Holy Spirit. I told you God replaced Saul with David down the road in a few chapters. Well, God took his spirit from Saul, gave his spirit to David. At this point, Saul became envious of David, fearful of David, and hateful of David. On more than one occasion, Saul tried to kill David. On one of those occasions, he heard where David was hanging out, and Saul sent a group of soldiers to go arrest him. Let me read to you what happens. Word came to Saul, David is in Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. 
But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. So I know that when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, they may or they may not be filled with power. The Holy Spirit may come upon somebody for reasons of faith or irrespective of faith. The baby John had no faith. These soldiers, they weren't on a mission of faith. They were on a bad mission. They were going to arrest an innocent man. They might have been good guys. So what do I know? I know that the Holy Spirit can fill babies with no faith and adults with faith. I know the Holy Spirit can empower people to do things or to fall upon them and not give them any evident power. So being filled with the Holy Spirit can mean different things. There is another meaning. This same verbiage, filled with, baptized, but it has its own meaning here. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit... We're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. All right, this is another type of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Same words. When the Spirit baptized Saul to give him a new heart so he could be a better king, we're never told that the man had any kind of faith. When these soldiers came to arrest David, we're never told they had any kind of faith. Baby John grew up to be a man of faith, but when he was a baby, obviously he had no faith. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is only done in consequence of faith. And it's only done to believers in Jesus. And it's always done to believers in Jesus. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. When you turn from your sins and give your life to Christ, the moment you make that decision, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and he seals you and makes you God's own and he stays in you until the redemption, till the rapture. Now, I've talked to people who've given their hearts to Christ and they immediately felt different. And I've talked to people who didn't. I've talked to people who said they've exhibited all sorts of powers. I didn't exhibit anything. Apparently I was glowing though, because somebody said, hey man, you did it, didn't you? Sure enough. And I had this overwhelming desire to tell people about Jesus. I was given a spiritual gift called evangelism. And then I had this voracious appetite to learn the Bible. And within just like three months, I knew the Bible better than most Christians I knew. Oh, Steve, you're awesome. No, God was preparing me to become a pastor down the road. So I didn't see that as power, but that's what God was doing for me. You can have the Holy Spirit in you and not feel like Samson. Or David, you may not have the gift of prophecy or the gift of miracles. Your gift may be the gift of helps. Wow, that's kind of lame. I don't think it's lame. I treasure it almost above all the gifts as a pastor. 
Anybody that helps around the church, I love. They grease the wheels around here, let me tell you. I come up with this great idea. Wouldn't it be cool to illustrate my sermon if I could have a box? And in one box, there could be like dirty diapers, and in the other box, there could be a cake. Wouldn't that be cool? You know what would have happened without people with the gifts of helps? I would have told you about boxes. I wouldn't have shown you about boxes. Nobody would have come in this morning and opened the doors for you. Nobody would have set up the mics and the stands. Nobody would go out and buy cakes and serve them in the bistro. Nobody clean the bistro when it's done. By the way, if you're not busy, help clean when it's done. <laughs> the Holy Spirit can exhibit in miraculous ways. But I'm reminded of the time when the prophet up on the mountain, I think it was Elijah, heard a big earthquake, and it said, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And there was a big fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. There was a mighty rushing wind, but the Lord wasn't in the mighty rushing wind. He was in the still, small voice. God can be big. He opens red seas. He does miracles. He raises the dead. But God is also in the small. And I'm telling you, David was small. And Goliath was big. You tell me which is better, big or small. So next time you say, man, I wish I had the gift of prophecy and miracles, why don't you say, man, I wish I had the gift of helps? God can use anybody. No, let me rephrase that. God will use anybody. But do you want to be a tool or a vessel? Maybe I'm not using the words biblically just right, but I think you're getting the idea. You want to be a willing tool of God, an empty vessel to be filled with his honor and glory, or do you just want to be something he's got to grab out of the shed to use because it's what's readily available? You can be Saul. You can be David. You can be Goliath. You can be David. I want David. I want to be like David. Not all prayers have to be extravagant. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells people, basically, don't pray like that. He says, just pray. And he gives them a sample prayer. And it's really short. Did you notice? The God of all the universe and human flesh gives a lesson on prayer, and it's only a couple sentences. So let me give you a prayer. Make it your own if you want to, but let me give it to you. You wake up in the morning every day for this week. That's my challenge to you, by the way to take up this prayer on your lips every morning this week when you wake up. Here's the prayer. If you want to get fancy, you can title it The Prayer of the Willing. And here's the prayer. God, I want to be useful to you today. I'm yours. Get up and brush your teeth. Just mean it. And if he uses you, let us know. Blog on Facebook or something. Let us know what God does with you. I want to be useful to you today. I'm yours. Well, things aren't always as they appear. A person with the Holy Spirit inside him doesn't look any different than a person without the Holy Spirit inside him. If you took 20 Jewish guys 2,000 years ago and put them in a room and I said, find the Son of God, by looks you would have failed. There wasn't one who glowed. Oh, 
Isaiah specifically says he wasn't even particularly handsome. Does that bother you? To think about Jesus not being handsome? It makes sense that if God's going to come to earth, he wouldn't want to be handsome, based on what I just taught you today, doesn't it? So think about that. Your Savior wasn't particularly handsome. He was nothing to look at. He wasn't hideous. He was just an average-looking guy. Would have made five grand less a year. <laughs> wasn't tall. Just looked like a dude. You can have a package with the Holy Spirit inside of you. David. Or David's brother. Not the tall one, the other one. How do you know which one's really filled with the Holy Spirit? We look the same. Yes, we do. There are ways of knowing who's really God's and who's not. That's why the, first, the epistle of 1 John was written, to help us differentiate the true from the false. But it's never what's on the outside. Never does it say, you'll know a true believer because he dresses well. And his tie will never clash with his pants. <laughs> It'll say things like, you'll know a true believer because he loves his brothers. You'll know a true believer because he's concerned for the poor. You'll know a true believer because he lives a pure life. These are all inside things. You've got to get to the heart of the matter. I'm moving somebody's mic stand. I'm very sorry. I'm music stand. I'm very sorry. You don't want to throw off your mojo. But I've got to see if this is my Holy Spirit box or my fail box. Fail. Look good. What's on the inside it ain't no bueno. Ah. It's on the inside that counts. You know, I thought it was always funny when we gave presents to real little children, when our children were real little, they liked to play with the wrappers, the box, and the bows. You had this cool Hasbro toy inside. They didn't care. But as we get older, we just tear off the paper. We want to see what's inside. And it's my prayer this morning that you'll let God tear off your paper and be concerned with your insides. We can start that off this morning, by the way, with communion. Communion, fancy word, but all we're doing is remembering what Jesus did for us and to us. Maybe I can say for us and in us.